Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 307th episode of MTG Fast Finance, the podcast that digs a cardboard tunnel through the snow to get you everything you need to know. MTG Fast Finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of Magic the Gathering finance, collection management, and speculation. I'm your host, James Chilcott, a.k.a. at MTG Critic on Twitter, and my co-host this week is not Travis Allen. It is our good friend Cliff Daigle, um, back from the West Coast. Uh, at Word of Commander on Twitter, if I'm not mistaken, and and we're here to help you folks make and save money playing our favorite game, Magic: The Gathering. Hello, everybody. Glad to be here. I'm looking forward to sharing some valuable information with all of you. As always, this show is produced by MTGPrice.com, the leading MTG finance community. Sign up today at MTGPrice.com to plan your specs, chat on the Discord, and read articles by some of the best financial minds in the hobby. MTG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff, Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool, nerdy stuff in stock, including all the best in Magic the Gathering, single, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Use the promo code FINANCE5, that's the number 5, during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% off your order and support this podcast. Cliff, what is on our agenda this week? Well, this week we're going to start off with uh, talking about Magic Online's metagame and review. There's some uh, some spicy things going on there that is uh, really worth noting because it shows what might be happening in Paper 2. Next up, after that, we've got our top paper movers, and we'll talk a little bit about what's also moving on Magic Online. Then you and I have our picks this week, and we're going to close out this week talking about the balance between work and life and how you and I have managed to balance family and work. And Like, you have eight jobs or something, so I'm really (laughs) interested to hear about how you juggle all that stuff. Alrighty, let's jump right in here. We had a modern challenge on January 15th. That was Saturday uh, with a pretty pretty interesting looking top eight. Uh, lots of the usual suspects, but right at the top of this thing, we have our Indomitable Creativity List. It's not the first time we've seen this in a top eight on Magic Online, but this is an evolution of the list that's looking pretty sexy. They've got the usual... Uh, Penelope of cards that allows them to get artifact tokens mostly in play, but also some creature tokens through the likes of things like Dwarven... Nope, I guess they don't use the Dwarven... Oh, that's the other deck from the other list. So they've got Chancellor of the Forge that can get them a free 1-1 on turn 1. They've got Fury, which is a free red spell if they need it. They've got Omnath for value, and then Seasoned Pyromancer and Wave Sifter can get them some extra tokens in play. And then at some point they cast, uh, they can cast either Violent Outburst or Ardent Plea or Shardless Agent. Eight options there for Cascade spells to hit Glimpse of Tomorrow, which will then shuffle all permanents they own into their library, then reveal that many cards from the top of the library and put all the non-or permanents revealed this way onto the battlefield. So Chancellor of the Forge is real cute in this package because. Either it's in your opening hand and gives you a 1-1, which then makes your glimpse that much more effective at pulling the big version of the card out for free. So that just does everything this deck wants to be up to. And then they've also got a Karn the Great Creator package with nothing to go, uh, nothing in the main that works with it, everything coming out of the sideboard off of the minus two. 
So they can go get an engineered explosives. They can get a liquid metal coating. They can get a... They have an Essica's chariot in the in the board in modern. Yeah, that's a... I'd like to know what they were planning with that. Uh, I think the Elixir of Immortality is hot tech too because Glimpse of Tomorrow doesn't shuffle your graveyard in. So if you need to reset the whole thing then you're going to dance with the Elixir of Immortality, and that's just glorious. Well, I'm assuming the Elixir's in the sideboard against Blue-Black Mill. I mean, that's that's fun too. But just like, oh, I want my glimpses to be fully restocked. Let's let's go with this all over again. Yeah, so pretty interesting list there to top the top eight. And and I think second place this was Blue-Red Murktide. So Murktide was... <laughs> was probably definitely off axis while they were trying to parse what was going on in that game uh, unless they've been grinding real hard uh, and have had enough chances to see this deck in action third place was grix's death shadow fourth was burn and then there was an indomitable creativity list in fifth not a i think i said it, this one was indomitable but it's actually a glimpse of tomorrow that's the centerpiece of the first place list indomitable creativity centerpiece of the fifth place list and this is a pile of planeswalkers uh, some control spells in the in the shape of fire and ice, lightning bolt, prismari command, remand, and spell pierce. This one does have the four dwarven mines to make uh, creature tokens. Hard evidence makes both a zero three blue crab creature token and gives you a clue token. And then the indomitable creativity destroys all the artifacts and creatures that you want to get rid of, and then goes and gets a archon of cruelty, of which there are three. Um, which is the favored target of the reanimation strategies in the format as well. And then backing all of this, or as an adjunct strategy, they've got 10 Planeswalkers in the list. And I guess Indomitable Creativity can go get... It's only going to get the Archon. Yeah, it can only get artifacts or creatures, so they can't grab the Planeswalkers. So those are just being hard cast all the time. And you got 2 Jace the Mind Sculptor, 4 Teferi Time Raveler, and 4 Renin 6. Yeah, I mean, what's not to love about a uh, deck that goes in uh, hard evidence for the zero three blocker, and then you're going to run in six uh, to fairy three, and you got your choice of Jason four or Indominal Creativity depending on how much you want your opponent to cry. Like that that Planeswalker set, that's just ridiculously amazing. Is it? I, I mean, I understand that the does the Dwarven mine doesn't need basic mountains so if you go triome shockland shockland dwarven mine there's your creature yeah i was just looking if there was a way to get the dwarven mine in the graveyard and use renin six to recycle it i don't think they have a way to sacrifice a land in the yeah. main well other than their their fetches the um and then i guess to fairy time raveler makes tons of sense in these combo decks that are hard casting sorceries for the win because puts your opponent off being able to interact at instant speed. Um, and then Jace the Mind Sculptor has been drifting kind of back into the format here and there in a variety of decks. You've, we've seen him in Jeskai control lists, blue-white blue, uh, blue -white control lists, occasionally in the blue-black lists. So uh, it's also a little cute that Prismari Command has a mode available that creates a treasure token that sets up the indomitable creativity better. So it might be, you know, you're playing against Hammer Time or something, destroy their hammer, Make a token, next turn go off. I mean, the the commands have, at least this one, you know, being red-blue, 
giving the modes that they were given is it's really ridiculous. You can the destroy target artifact or have yourself a treasure on top of the all the other effects. It's what were they thinking? They were just being way too awesome with this card. You'll compare it to like the the black green one. It's like destroy something that costs one or less. Well, G Jiminy Crickers. <laughs> G Jiminy I mean, Cricket. That's how that goes. Yeah. For the for those of us that are over forty. Ancient. Yeah. The, yeah, exactly. The um so Prismari Command, take a quick look here at the foil extended arts, because I know that that was a pick on cast sometime back, and I don't know if we've had an update on it in a while. I suspect there are still some of these lying around. 44 listings near mint left on TCG, sitting around $14. Pretty solid ramp up into the high 20s. Might be a decent shot for those that like to get in at the last possible moment to snap off some of these under 15 and... Uh, and roll because this is still technically in print it's not in any danger of a reprint anytime soon certainly not in a premium version and i would imagine you might get two three even four years out of this before it ever sees reprint uh also worth noting that uh foil showcase archon has gone up about a dollar and a half in the last like two to three weeks according to tcg's graphs so that's something worth keeping an eye on too. It's it's the most popular reanimation target in modern right now, and that's mainly because it's ridiculous. They sacrifice, they discard and lose life, and you draw a card and gain three. Come on. The price curve on the foil showcase archons looks very similar to Prismari Command, about the same number of listings, um, and similar price point. And I think both seem like strong targets. I'd agree. So in sixth place, wrapping up this top eight, four-color Omnath and blue-black mill and blue-white control. Uh, now, on the Sunday, we had a modern super qualifier, which is a next-level-up tournament. And this one was was capped by back-to-back Grixis Death Shadow in first and second. And if paper magic existed in any kind of meaningful form right now, and we weren't in the midst of a new COVID wave, I'd certainly be looking pretty hard at, at, at Death Shadows and Death Shadow foils. Um, I suspect a, a strong GP with an attendance of 2,500 or so, and this kind of performance coming out of it can move some cardboard. Yeah, um, a lot of the accessories look good too. You know, they're all playing uh, Loris of the Dream Den, which uh, I don't know when you got in on some of those. You'll look good. But these are the top two lists are almost exactly clones of each other. Um, Unholy Heat in Foil is something that uh, I've always kept an eye on, too. Just because one mana for six damage to a creature or planeswalker is pretty high on the ridiculous list. Drown in the Lock as a four of is, is pretty much a linchpin in these blue-black decks as well. And and the, the Grixis Shells. How is that doing? Wasn't there a promo? There was. It was in one of the secret layers, I think. Yeah, that sounds correct. So yeah, there's a secret layer drop series that was in the Mystical Archive style. Right. And those foils are at about $20, having been available for purchase closer to 17 Let me go back. The full... Yeah, 17 looks like the lowest they ever got. And there's 22 listings left near 20 So I could see... I could see those Drown in the Lock Mystical Archive uh, versions that have quite excellent art, actually, 
uh, ending up being $40 plus cards. Uh, let's see. You've got some random Unholy Heat foils at a buck, and then a few people with bricks at around $1.50. I might have to think about that later. Last, last time I checked on that, it still looked like there was a ways to go on the inventory there, but... Yeah, there's 18 pages worth of listings for Near Mint Foils. Well, actually, that wasn't Near Mint. Let's see, Near Mint Foils, only 11 pages of listings. But, uh, you know, when I look at my four mores, see, like, where can I brick up at? Uh, there's nobody with a huge, huge supply. There's uh, one vendor with 29 at a dollar fifty. And if that's still here when the podcast goes live, that's because I got busy and started doing something else and didn't remember to check out in that cart. It feels like it's a future, like, double up via CK buy list, right? Yeah, it'd just be something where uh, I'm looking forward to when, you know, events are happening in person because I've got all these cards I need to go drop off with somebody and uh, upgrade my crappy non-foils into shiny goodness. Currently, CK is only offering $0.38 cents, uh, on a foil? 40, yeah, $0.49 cents credit. And that Ouch. just seems way too low for the long term. That's true. Like, add all a right. zero to those two numbers and you're probably where you're at on that in a year, year and a half. Fair enough. Now, they can go ahead and print this somewhere else, but this card's probably too strong for standard. Like, it's it, pretty good. Do we have any del- Did we get any Delirium this standard? I don't think we did. In uh, this trip to Ennistrad, we didn't get anything Delirium, did we? Mm, no, I think we did, but the, the, issue, the real issue here is just that doing six to a Planeswalker or a creature once you have Delirium, is it's at the top end of what you want a red... Uh, kill spell to do for one mana it's also worth noting that uh the burn lists aren't bothering with this because it can't go to the face and that's it's a shame because burn is always like 15 to 20 percent of your metagame in modern sure but almost everybody else that's running red is running unholy heat in spades and i think last time i checked on uh goldfish if we look at pot staples for modern i think it's in the top 10 if i'm not mistaken uh yeah it's number nine 32% decks running at 3.6 copies per deck. All right. Um, did you want to talk about the dredge deck, or do you want me to? Yeah, you can jump in on the dredge deck. I love talking about dredge decks, because they, they just do something so weird, and people have been trying to make dredge so good, even though they keep nerfing dredge. So uh, this is running um, your fun things, like your Hedron Crab. It won't play Ruin Crab, because it... Hedron Crab can hit you, Ruin Crab can't. Uh, four Secret Keepers to mill yourself, but mainly it's uh, two Glimpse the Unthinkable and four uh, uh, Stitcher Supplier, and you're looking for your prized amalgams, your rotting rats, all this good stuff to get Venge Vines in the yard and recast things and just have a ridiculous board on like turn two, and you're wondering what the heck just happened. And yeah, it's, it's always sad for the like fledgling modern player the first time they run into dredge. It, it's like a revelation. It's like the first time somebody storms off against you in a cube draft. You're like, wait, wait, what? What? I I was at like 19 and I had a full hand and I had a counter spell. What? What? I don't understand what has just happened to my face. <laughs> and so, uh, this kind of thing uh, makes me happy to see. You know, you've got your uh, four force negation in the sideboard. And uh, two Tarmogoyfs just for the lulls. I, I don't think it's a really 
terrifying card, but you've got the potential to make it terrifying with the right early dredge. I guess the new cards here, since the last time dredge was a big deal, four Merfolk Secret Keeper out of uh, Eldraine. Rotting Rats seems new to me. I don't remember seeing that in Dredgeless before. Uh, four Otherworldly Gaze. Yeah, that's a, that was always a, a last pick in uh, in that's AFR, right? No, Mid- it's midnight, uh, huh? midnight. Yeah, so basically, it's mill yourself for three and then flashback it. Although, if there's a card you really wanted to draw, you could put it to the top and mill the other two. Yeah, I was gonna say you put put lands on top and and relevant cards and in, in the in the graveyard. I, I thought it was interesting that they're running two Glimpsy Unthinkable, which is also a card I don't remember seeing in Dredge before. Because at one point I was working on a Delve-based strategy for Modern where I was using four Glimpsy Unthinkable as basically mana. Like basically right. generate 10 mana for, for two mana. Because um, you just dump a bunch of cards in the yard and then the Delve cards like Tassiker or whatever can come into play for one. Now, it is worth saying that there is literally one card in the 75 that has the word dredge on it. Yeah. It's it's a self-mill goodness kind of deck. And it's not going to get value from actually dredging. It's just going to get value from milling its own cards into the yard. And so two glimpse might be conservative on this. I can't think of anything else you want to do on turn two more than mill yourself for 10. Then we have a blue-black control list in fourth, which is something that's it's it's out there, it's around on the fringes of the format, but it's definitely not a mainstay. Uh, and this is basically just a pile of instants and sorceries and a few handful of artifacts with a control bent and then three Snapcaster Mage and two Turok to add some doubling up on spells and some discard and also put some protection from white onto the board in a format where a lot of the the control elements tend to be white. Uh, so they got Blood Chief's Thirst, Inquisition, and Thoughtseize, Archmage's Charms, Considers, Counter Spells, Drown in the Lock, Fatal Push, Memory Deluge, etc. Memory Deluge, definitely worth keeping an eye on. Foil Extended Arts. Um, whether it's Jeskai, Blue Black, or Blue White Control, Deluge seems to be the card draw spell of choice in Modern right now. Uh, quick rules question for you, James. Do you know if Luris allows you to pay the kicker cost on something? Mm. I don't I think don't... so. I don't, I don't think so either, but it's nice to always have the, the, the number of decks that have found a companion just for the extra value, you know? Uh, we've also got a Castle Ventress in here. I just sold the foil extended art of that for just under 50 today. In on those about 18 months ago at 20. Uh, Hall of Storm Giants is probably going to be a similar kind of thing. Uh, those creature lands are doing better than I think people expected. And then we move on to Green Tron, Shardless Footfalls, and a pair of four-color Omnath uh, decks in 7th and 8th. So, as per as we have been privileged to experience over the last six months, Modern in probably the best spot it's ever been during a time where nobody can play it in person. Uh, you know, you got to look for the silver lining in these things, man. All right, so moving on over to top paper movers of the week. We've got Haunted Ridge, just pack foils, not fancy foils. Uh, going from 7 to eight fifty. It's only $1.50, but this is a market bump. And to see a recent foil rare move by 20% in a week can easily flag that it's never going to have a 100% week. 
but it's it could have multiple 5, 10, 15, 20% weeks over a period of time, and it would normally just be missed on this list entirely. And I'm flagging it here because I think that all of those lands from the two Innistrad sets this fall were probably underestimated, are probably going to be uh, solid slow burn gainers, and the only thing holding them back really is the potential that the double feature inventory uh, ends up getting dumped into the market because it doesn't sell well. Gaming company buys pallets of it by the boatload for cheap, and alternate versions of these cards that are potentially better looking, we'll have to see some of them in hand to know for sure, uh, end up being plentiful for and pushing the, the timelines out another six months. I'd also say that uh, I think the, the playset is a real secret layer incursion some inclusion sometime in the next year or so uh these lands are among the best you could hope for in commander because you generally don't care that much on turn one or two and then they're just dual lands you know they're not fetchable and that's the only downside so um you know these are you're a budget option but they're not going to be very budget for much longer uh, until the inevitable uh secret layer uh slow lands comes along i can see them ending up pretty similar to the icoria tri lands in terms of the price pattern but i guess we'll see how it goes um they don't really see much modern play whereas the triomes do leak into modern as ones and twos here and there in a bunch of decks so they don't, they don't have the competitive side support but they do uh, show up in standard certainly right now and as you said for EDH they're they're likely to be a mainstay in, in a lot of uh, land loadouts yep uh, next up was Firesong and Sunspeaker who was the buyer box promo for uh, I knew this uh, I wrote this down someplace uh, do you remember what set they were off the top of one your head? of the Ravnica sets if I'm not mistaken and Sunspeaker it was doo, 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 it was from Dominion. I'm on Gatherer. Why am I on Gatherer? Uh, no, 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 no. It was for Dominaria. It was for Dominaria. Okay, that's when they. This was the first time they did that. Uh, these have bumped up uh, from about six to seven twenty-five, just on the back of being one of the coolest things you can do in red and white. Who. You know, you don't want to build the normal Boros aggro. You want to build something cool. This is a cool way to do that. It's been a long, slow haul for this card. I'm pretty sure it was a cast pick like three years ago or something and really hasn't gotten there. Um, it's going to take take even more time to get anywhere significant. It's one of these kind of mid-range value cards for EDH that fits well in a mid-tier table but isn't going to do anything in CDH. No, no, definitely not. Moving right along, we got the Reki the History of Kamigawa secret layer version with the nice art. Uh, 6 to 7.50, that's, still, that's just a 25% gain as well, but signals that some of the, the stuff from that layer may start moving as we get in deeper into this uh, Neon Dynasty hype. Mantle of the Ancients extended art out of the uh, AFR Commander product line but the extended arts are only available actually in the collector boosters uh was a card that folks flagged early on as having impressive stats on edh rec uh when it wasn't really flagged up front as something that would probably end up like that 
and so it went up about 30% this week as well from 425 to 550 on TCG player heading in the right direction in a future 10 to 15 dollar card i mean you're paying 5 mana to get back any number of aura and or equipment cards so this is a must have in that entire uh uh plan so yes i'm for it there's also there's also suggestions in the early leaks for Neon Dynasty that there's a Aura's sub theme in there somewhere that might be driving some of that. That'll be fun. Uh, next up, we have Sakashima's student from Planar Chaos has Plane, gone Plane Chase 2012. Oh, I'm sorry, that's the Plane Chase one. I was thinking of something. That we need isn't that the code PLC is Planar Chaos? Oh, you're probably right. Um, anyhow, Sakashima Student, the uh, the one that was only available in Plane Chase, and they somehow have managed to avoid any serious reprints, has as one of the ninjas that gets to copy anything, uh, has gone from sixty four to eighty because we're going to have some ninja goodness, and people are preparing for that. Yeah, and taking the taking the fifty thousand foot view here, what's really happened is it's gone in the last six months from the announcements about uh, Kamigawa from about 45 up to 80, so almost doubled. And on a longer horizon, used to be significantly cheaper. Like, people were impressed when this card was $15, never mind 80. But the reality is they've just never reprinted it. It was in Plain Chase Anthology after being in Plain Chase 2012. By the way, the set symbol is PC2, so you're right. It wasn't PLC. And... Uh, there's some debate about whether they could put this in the obvious ninja commander deck we're getting here. Seems unlikely. It was already a pretty pricey card. Um, but I could see them putting it into a fresh secret layer. Let's see. Uh, the timeline Is the timeline for the commander decks usually around two years, just like the other sets? I, I don't know for sure. You may or may not know. Um, but the, the main thing is, when did they plan it? If they planned oh, it while oh, this was yeah. a... A $30 card, they would have been, sure, we can throw this in. People will love that. You know, it hasn't been reprinted since 2012. Yeah, but the thing, they they tend to steer clear of that. They don't like to put money cards in these decks. And especially if it's not the the annual deck sets. Although they have been kind of like drifting to a median point between the two. And just doing it all the time now. Like the, the stuff associated with the Strixhaven annual commander product where there was five decks um wasn't much more impressive than the other stuff during the year but we haven't seen a 80 dollar retail card pop up in one of these decks all year so i don't i don't expect it to happen here um secret layer on the other hand lets them it's basically they get to print money yeah and whenever if, they want if they throw one of these in there then people will value it at at least 15 or 20 dollars and it'll sell a ton of units so I can see yeah, that happen. That's a pretty safe bet. I would I would agree with you on that. It's more likely to be in a secret layer than it is in the commander deck. As amazing as it will be in the inevitable ninja commander deck. There's also the Karn the Great Creator uh, in the old border planeswalker style that was also in the a recent secret layer, going from twenty to twenty five. This is a product that is already in hands, if I'm not mistaken. And 25% gains on that shows that people believe in the kitsch value of having Planeswalkers you can totally not read. Did you uh, buy any of these? Uh, I think I have these layers, but I, I don't have them in hand. 
Right. So I'm in the same boat. Uh, they're, they're probably in a package that's due my way sometime soon. Yeah, I got notified that they're billing this one. Uh, I think I'm in for 10 of the foils on this one. So we'll see. Knowing that one of them is selling for 25 right now and non-foil is a, it's a pretty happy thing. Yeah, if they're still billing, if they're still billing on these, then there's plenty of room for these to drop. It, it looks that's true. Like, there's a lot left to go and open. Yeah, they, it looks like they were up to mid 30s in early December on pre-order and have fallen down as low as 16, and now are sitting, you know, a little higher. So entirely possible that these will be suppressed by presence of a ton of inventory. We'll have to see how much of it actually enters the market and go from there. Well, speaking of, the next card on the list is the Mind Flayer, the Shadow uh, Foil from Secret Lair from the Stranger Things one, which uh, I would PayPal you $20 right now if you could name even half the words on this card. Well, the thing about this is that this is definitely not out yet. Yeah. So, so these, these this are is just pre-ordered. Out. Yeah, this is, these aren't out for another 10, 15 days. And... This is just pre-order, so really just flagging it so people know that the, this movement is pre-order hype and they can wait till opening weekend and beyond to get a better sense of what the real price is. Yep, uh, so if you've ordered it, great, and if you haven't, then be patient. You'll have your chance at it. And we've got Frankenstein's Monster doing uh, duty as the local representative for the reserve list this week. Going from supposedly $25 to $70, uh, 180% gains. There are still copies of this floating around on eBay in the 40s and 50s, which leads me to believe that it was specific targeting on the card on TCG Player by the same cadre of folks that have been chipping away at uh, old border foils from early Magic sets and reserve list stuff and all the other things that are supply limited. Uh, over time if you need one of these for your dark set you can snap one off on ebay or somewhere else local store etc you can still find these in bulk to be honest if you if you're getting the right kind of bulk um and otherwise you can probably safely ignore this card since you're very unlikely to need to play it anytime soon it's a pretty bad card uh also flagging riftstone portal out of judgment uh, and one of the aforementioned old border foils on the move and this one is basically drained out on TCG Player. It's not a only a good card in very specific decks with other uh, partner cards. This one we're down to 14 listings starting at 25, quickly jumping over 30 and headed for 40 or 50. So, and it's going to be hard to replenish on these because there aren't that many Nearman foils of this card floating around from all the way back in Judgment. Yeah, uh, keep in mind, it doesn't mean anything that this was an uncommon, because it was an uncommon uh, 20, years ago. 20 years ago, literally, is 2002. So uh, if you've got one or two laying around, good job. Uh, it's only in 1,500 EDH decks, so the demand is not quite organic. All right, moving on over to the top Magic Online movers of the week. We've got Rogrin Triome out of Ikoria going from 14... Point three ticks to 27 tickets that's 88 percent gains on the back of multi-format play across pretty much all the formats that are relevant on magic online after that we've got elvish reclaimer who has uh, been popping up in modern and legacy the uh, one one who gets to 
two tap and crop rotation. He's gone from about uh, $6 to a little over 11 tickets. So that's been a big mover too. But the big winner in percentage is another Triumph. The Ketria version has gone from just under 7 to just under 15. So the demand for these lands is real. And Ikoria being uh, two years ago now? Yeah, because it was just at the beginning well, of year, the Well, year pandemic. and a half. It's year rotating out this fall. Right. Uh, rotating means nothing right now. And everybody just wants some more of it. I'd expect to see these in uh, in treasure chests pretty soon, too. Elvish Reclaimer has been showing up in Modern here and there and does a lot of work in Legacy and Commander. So not tremendously surprised to see it get a push here off of some recent hot finishes. Uh, and yeah, the Triomes are, are not going any away anytime soon. Uh, so just before we hop into some more Triumph talk, I guess we should remind everybody that now is likely a good time to tell you all about the Cool Stuff Inc. Customer Rewards Program. The more you buy with our 5% off coupon Finance 5, the closer you get to even higher rewards, including up to 15% off Magic Singles and Assorted Minis over at CoolStuffInc.com. Head on over there today to build your loyalty and save big with those discount coupons. Uh, I have definitely made use of my 15% off over at Cool Stuff many a time. Sometimes it's that an... stuff stacks with their, their day-to-day yeah. sales and produces some very hot prices on singles. Plus, you get your credit card rewards going on, and you're just like, pretty soon you're basically losing money if you don't spend $500. Alrighty, so speaking of Triomes, I'm going to go with Rogren Triome. A card that I picked in Foil Borderless Showcase a ways back. And I took a quick look at the just pack foils at $14 is uh, your baseline price over on TCG Player right now. We're down to under 30 listings and are looking at a fairly steep ramp. Card seeing tons of play uh, and I don't see anywhere for this to go but up. So I think I'm going to call these 14 to 30 on a 6 to 12 month timeline. They've got 30,000 decks worth of EDH rec support, multi-format competitive play, and as I said, sub-30 listings in the steep ramp. Can't argue at all, man. Shiny cards that are in everybody's commander deck of the right colors. Like, what What do you want from a land? You know, and this has it. This, this will cycle when you don't need a land. It's fetchable. It's good for three colors. And uh, the only thing that could, I don't even think a secret layer printing would, would ding this at all. Quite frankly, people would upgrade to their secret layers and uh, call it a day. So I'm, I'm with you on this and I'm annoyed I didn't think of it myself. All right, so your first pick here is also a land we've called in a different form earlier this year. Or I guess last mid, middle of last year. Uh, hit me up with this one. Well, uh, regular versions of Cabal Coffers from Modern Horizons 2 are down to $19 or so. Um, you can get some, like, damaged judgment versions of it almost that cheap, but I, I always prefer to go, like, when I'm picking specs, I like near-mint cards. And uh, the the curve is all the way at the bottom now for Modern Horizons versions of Cabal Coffers. You don't need me to tell you how many uh, commander decks it's in or what kind of degenerate stuff you can do with it. Just know that it's at its lowest point. And if you've been waiting for the right time to pick up something you know is going to go up again in the future, uh, this is it. Uh, conservatively, I'm saying uh, right 19 right now, 
And I think $40 is easily achievable once people are like, oh my god, I need the next Mono Black Commander comes out, and all of a sudden there's going to be no copies left on TCG Player. I think this one, I, I mean, there's no doubt in my mind that coffers eventually makes folks money. I think it's pretty clear that pack foils and borderless and foil borderless are going to make money sooner. Um, the borderless art is fantastic. Uh, and a clear step up from the original. So there's that. But I think the, the, the deal with this is not if, it's a when. So this is just about, I don't think I'm jumping in on coffers, regulars right now. Um, I'm certainly holding the ones I do have. But there's 200 listings for near mint copies left on TCG Player, even though it is a mythic. So that says to me, we can choose some date in the future to get in on this card and and grab a big parcel of them when we're down to under 50 listings or something and that could take six months it could take 12 months it could take more and i'm just keeping an eye on it until we get to that point i i see what you're saying but i also like to highlight you know the the s tier staples that have gotten to their cheapest point and if you've been like oh man i want a coffers but it's pricey this is your time like it's under twenty dollars if I told you you could buy $20 coffers, uh, you know, at any point before Modern Horizons 2, you would have showered me in money like I was. Uh, this is a family podcast, so I'm not going to finish that statement. Um, but, you know, that I see what you're saying, that there are a lot of listings. I just always like to highlight when something has gotten to its lowest po- lowest price yet. I do wonder if it has some additional drift down potential, just because there's still MH2 product being Ooh. opened. But I would be surprised if it ever hits below 15. And I think if we get that low. 15? I, I, I don't think start, it'll hit 15. I would start pulling, a, pulling the trigger a little more quickly. There's a there's a chance that things go down a little bit more. But uh, I, would, I would bet against 15. That's awfully optimistic. One of the things you can look for is, as, is for the listings to start dropping. And then you start seeing a sustained uptick over the course of about a month where it pumps three or four dollars and then sits on that plateau, that will be a fairly positive sign. All right, that's true. Uh, moving along here, I've got a card that I'm not actually a huge believer in personally, but it seems to be headed in the right direction, so I'm going to call it out here. Uh, Cultivator Colossus Foil Extended Art seems to me like the kind of green creature that's going to get overshadowed by other more prominent options and might fade from memory for a lot of players but it's a foil extended art mythic out of crimson vow where there's already you know less than three months after release less than 30 listings they start in the early 30s 31 30 31 32 depending on where you're buying it from not easy to get any cheaper overseas in fact both uh europe and japan have even higher prices on this this version and the curve is pretty steep up into the $50 range. So I think calling this to go 32 to 50 inside a year is probably pretty reasonable. Now, it doesn't have really any play outside of Commander that's going to be relevant here. So you have to ask yourself whether you believe that 3,000 decks in EDH Rec so far when the best card, the, the most prominently played cards from that set are closer to 4,000 to 6,000 decks already. 
and 7% of green decks when maybe ideally you want to be more like 10 to 15% to identify a true S tier staple. Ba- how that how that balances against very low inventory already. Well, the the thing is the inventory is going to bump a little bit right now because of double feature. We don't know exactly how much is going to get opened. We don't know how many pallets gaming company is going to go through. But uh, I've been leery of uh, Hunt and Vow cards because of the silver screen versions that are coming out. And once we have some idea of how those look in person and how many people are going to be chomping at the bit to get their copies, then I'm in for uh, assorted uh, extended art and foil extended art and whatnot. But with... uh, Vow and Hunt, like, about to get the the double feature. Granted, double feature is only going to be a thing for a couple of weeks. Uh, It is another premium version to be chased, and it would be something they'll be fighting with the FEA version for uh, an increase in price and for being the the top dollar. Yeah, possibly. If I, I mean, if the silver treatment, silver screen treatment... Uh, or whatever it's called ends up being coveted and there's a ton of them in the market then it can create drag um, if on the other hand they're the you know gaming company doesn't commit to a bunch of pallets and their brethren don't either and and or the silver screen treatment is not well regarded I, I get the sense that players are not super stoked about these because they like color cues Um I'm I'm with you on that. Like uh, I looked at some of the lands from uh, at the silver screen. And they looked like really. Uh, it's like the basic lands of Eternal Night. Like you you see the symbol, but you don't have any color really to tell you. So I, I get where you're coming from there. So Cultivator Colossus. I'm like lukewarm on this. I, I suspect it will get there. I I'm not going to be going in on it. So take that what for what what it's worth. I have a couple I've opened along the way that. You know, I'll hold and wait Wait to see what happens. Um, once we get to 50, I'll be happy listing them. Fair enough. Uh, my other pick this week is uh, near and dear to my heart. Um, if you talk to me for any amount of time, I will talk about my dragon commander deck with the Ur-Dragon and uh, Sarkin Fireblood in foil from M19. Uh, we're getting new dragons in uh, Neon Dynasty. And we've gotten some hints at some of the awesome dragonness that's coming. And uh, we've got Tiamat as a commander for it. Although I, I dig Tiamat. Uh, I'm willing to hear you out if you like Tiamat over the Ur-Dragon, even if you're wrong. Um, basically, this Planeswalker at three mana is everything a dragon deck could want. It's an amazing mana rock. It's a way to get rid of your most expensive one and try and draw into your next lands. And you're just both of those abilities build up to just the ultimate you would want anyway. Um, he's a mana rock that can get attacked, so he's not uh, great in that regard. But right now, the foils, uh, there's no special foils available of him because it's, it's way back in M19. But uh, the foils right now are at 19. They were ten, $10 uh, earlier, well, like, not earlier in this year, but a few months ago. And they're on a, an upward trajectory, and I think when we get the new dragony goodness, people are going to see they need to have this guy in there. 
Yeah, I don't know to what extent we're getting a dragon set here. I mean, we're certainly getting we're certainly getting the five legendary dragons. There's certainly some potential for those dragons to keep to get people looking at their Ur Dragon or Tiamat builds from summer and fall and making additional updates or reminding people that hey dragons are cool. Maybe I could I could get get around to building one of those decks I planned to build last summer and forgot to. Um but it, other than that, I don't expect we're going to see a bunch of support for, for dragons outside of the fact that we're getting some cool legendary ones. Uh, that said, I don't think it matters that much that it's not a dragon-specific set. There's only 13 listings left of the card. The, the curve is relatively steep. It's not the kind of card that sells all the time, but it only needs to move a few, like a small handful of foil copies a week, like one, two, three and give it another 6 or 12 months, and I think, yeah, you could easily hit your price point just from natural erosion as a card that fits into every dragon deck. It's just so good. I will, I like, um, you'll find me on the, the EDH channel in the Discord just always uh, espousing the greatness that is Sarkin in this particular environment. And I, I think it, we're going to get a little bit more than uh, you think, like something about the the... Uh, is it Kami or Kami? Do, I, I didn't listen to last week's episode yet. For the, the Kami War, the Kami War? Oh, if we're going... I mean, Cam, uh, Kami, I believe, from the whatever the bastardized English pronunciation is of it from the original Kamigawa block. Right. But in terms of how a Japanese person would say it, I'm not even going to hazard a guess. Well, neither of us are, but um, like the Kami War that they... Uh, gave us a hint at today in the, one of the new sagas, like some kind of five color dragony awesomeness. And I just, I'm really looking forward to all kinds of new fun dragon things. And I always keep an eye out for what's going to go up from these decks. And Sarkin is like you said, not a lot of copies left already on an uptick. Uh, people, when they, when they see how good it is, they say, damn, how come zombies don't get mana acceleration and card selection in a planeswalker, you know. It is it is nice that in a top heavy deck like dragons, he lets you do some cycling. Also functions as a as a basically three mana mana rock for, that makes two mana a turn. And then if you ever get to ultim, you, it's you game don't, over but it's okay. <laughs> it's game over. You just don't. They, they he he gets to six, and everybody is like, "Oh, right, we need to deal with that." Alrighty, so we got Rogren Triome, Cabal Coffers, Cultivator Colossus, Foil Extended Art, and Sarkin Fireblood. I think if I'm picking a priority here for the week, I'm looking at Rogren Triome foils. Probably. Those are the... That's the... What's the word I want? The most certain to have an increase just based on the play pattern and where it's already been. And probably the closest to taking off, which is something that is uh, especially valuable to our listeners. Alrighty, so moving right along to our final segment of the week, we're going to talk a little bit about work-life balance, and not just in like the general sense of <laughs> building yourself a satisfactory life, something that is certainly more and more challenging during this ongoing pandemic, but the specific uh, balance between your hobbies, whether it's MGG Finance or MGG Finance plus Magic or plus other things, you know, various forms of gaming, video games, D&D, &D, whatever, 
and your life with your friends, family, partner, what have you. Um, have you ever had periods where you felt ch- like that it was challenging to balance the two? I mean, I've had times where um, the time that jumps out at me was uh, about 2006 to 2008. Um, I had a a combination of a job I didn't like very much and uh, a bad breakup and I didn't have the 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 right circle of friends around me at the time and I just like didn't do anything besides play magic online and uh, I've still got you know uh, an account with way too many uh, shadow more uncommons you know things <laughs> like that but uh, I remember clearly like what happened in late 08 and early 09 was there was a new uh, store that opened near me, a new game store. And that was this was right before um, Zendikar and M... Uh, I was about to say M10. It wasn't M10. No, Magic 2010. Yeah. Uh, and I, I met new people and I was able to like have that change within just a few months. And I realized, like looking back, how... Uh, I had been unhappy, how I had been really turned in on myself and not engaging with people the way that I, I wanted to. And especially because um, not long after that, uh, Commander really started taking off. And, uh, you know, you and I are exactly the age group for Commander, where we get all the nostalgia, all this old stuff that we can, like, put to new use at least that was the, the, the plan early on. And there was, uh, I don't know if you remember the the heyday, the early days of Commander, but you had all the random stuff. Like um, a friend of mine had the steroid deck where every picture had to be somebody who was clearly using steroids. Um, we had the one wing deck where the art could only be something that had been one on one wing because the guy was really into Sephiroth at the time. So there's all kinds of random stuff that, had made it more fun for me to to be around people again. And ever since then, I've tried to to keep that in mind, where um, I have to give myself time to go do the fun things. And even if those things are not necessarily um, the most uh, productive way to spend time, it's been a really wonderful way to spend time. Because you're not going to spend every minute like grinding specs, buying collections online, sorting through cards, sending them off to buy lists. You know, time that you spend just goofing off and playing the silly EDH deck that makes you smile, that is just as productive. And it's it's also necessary for your mental health. Oh, yeah, that's that's probably a big one for anybody that is balancing family life plus job plus pandemic especially is the you know releasing the potential for guilt that can be can be associated with doing anything for yourself when it feels like there's so many other things going on around you that you need to deal with because you do need to realize that for your mental health the and for, and therefore and by extension the health, mental health of those around you <laughs> because if yours degrades the 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 other minds around you will surely will as well um yeah, put that time aside for yourself. I mean, it, 
And that that's one of the ones I, I have struggled with since becoming a dad. I used to be very about myself, you know, traveling the globe and jumping out of town whenever I wanted to, coming home all, all hours, basically just doing whatever I wanted. And then all of a sudden you've got this tiny little cute child that needs food and there's no one else in the house but you. And it biochemically changes you and turns you into a nurturing object. And absolutely, since then, have I noticed a personality shift towards the family unit and away from self-satisfaction. So I still, though I spend plenty of time at MTG Finance, that's quasi-work time at this point. And not particularly fun, really. Like it's, intell- it's intellectually challenging to keep all those balls in the air, but it's not the the free kind of um, casual have a beer with buddies and play commander on a Friday night kind of enjoyment that you're referring to. And, you know, I've tried here and there where the pandemic seemed like it might let up to get out and play a couple games, you know, a Saturday morning of modern with a mask on um, where it seemed to make sense, but it just hasn't seemed particularly safe to do a lot of the stuff. Like, sure, you can go to a movie theater and it's only going to be half full because they're spacing people out, but the reality is that the science doesn't support that actually being safe, especially not with Omicron, even if it was with Delta. And... So it's it's increasingly challenged to, challenging to carve out the time, and there's also like a, a, a house cats thing going on, right? Like the more the more those of us that are stuck at home, especially in the northern climes, because there's a there was a snowstorm up here that dumped three feet of snow overnight. Uh, in the winter, you just you tend to get stuck in at home and just get used to it to the point where it's tough to break your habits. And so today we had you know, robin egg, blue skies. It was plus two and there was all that snow in the ground. My wife was like, listen, let's just go tobogganing. Let's just drag all that stuff out of the closet and get out of the house in the middle of the day. We'll ditch work for a bit and, and go have fun with Alara. And at the, you know, when she suggested it, I was like, eh, but, 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 and then it was like, you know what? Yeah, let's just go do that. And it was incredible. It almost actually felt surreal to be out on a snowy hill doing that and not worry about COVID because there's no one near you and just be able to, to go relax <laughs> and then watch my kids smile as she like jumps into a huge pile of snow for the first time, because this is the first year that she would remember that there's that much snow on the ground. And, you know, those moments are priceless. For those of you that, that don't have kids and get tired of, hearing uh, parents talk about it. Um, I have a metaphor and you may or may not enjoy this metaphor, but um, I have a a cube that I'm very fond of. And for a while uh, we were able to draft, uh, my friends and I were able to draft it, you know, two, three times a month. uh, And so it's a, it's a good cube. And um, I've gotten to the point where I don't need to draft the cube. I just want to let other people draft it and have that marvelous experience. And that's, that's kind of what being a parent is like. It's exactly like you said, where you're trying to like give this person this new experience, this new awesome experience that they, they haven't had before. And 
I find myself, um, one of the things that, that will bring you joy as a, as a parent or as an individual is doing that, is finding a way to uh, impart a new experience to somebody who hasn't had it yet, even if that person is yourself. Like, I plan, vicariously. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I plan things for my kids, and uh, it almost never goes the way that I plan it. I plan on like, oh, we're going to do this awesome thing where we're going to like build a catapult together. And then they want to build a house or they want to build a car. And I'm like, you know, we'll build a house or a car. I'm not here to like force them to to do something like that. And I just got to I got to appreciate the moment that I'm in and say like this, this is cool. And have that awareness of like where my mind has been in the past and where I am now because I've, I'm in a better spot now. And uh, the more interaction I can get with people, the better I am. One of the things that I did notice, like I said, was that I was really isolative. And that's not good for my personality type at all. Um, I wanted to ask you, like, you said that uh, finance has kind of become a job. The MTG finance is kind of like a job. Um, it brings you joy and brings you money so how do you um weigh when to stop giving it your time like when do you say like i have in i have put enough done enough specs i have filed them away i don't need to go hunting for more right now is there a is there a, a metric or a, a thing that you do or you're just like i've gotten to the end of this show in netflix and i'm, I'm done doing this now I'm at the point where without hiring staff to, <laughs> to hand, handle some of this stuff for me, whether it's MTG price stuff or my personal sales, um, I'm at a, I'm at a limit. And I think that's one of the key things for work-life balance is, okay, you've got your primary hustle, usually your main job. I do as well. That's the first priority for work time. Now, I have long since mastered working smart rather than working hard. So my main job is largely a cash cow in much the same way that MTG finance is a cash cow. And from the perspective of not having to pile it, becoming more and more efficient at doing the work over time so that I can squeeze more things into a week. I'm also a supreme multitasker. That's a core competency. So that helps. The, but even in that situation, you, you often will have to put a cap on things. You're, you're not going to work more than 35, 40, 45 hours a week at your main job. And you're going to figure out how to, how to make that work. You're going to move closer to your job or take a job closer to your house to avoid commute time. You know, one of the smartest things I ever did was just saying, you know what, I'm not going to let my ego dictate that I need to have an expensive office in downtown Toronto for my agency when 80% of our clients are overseas. And by overseas, I mean over the border to the U.S. for the most part, but also in England, Australia, and parts of Europe. Um, We can probably get away with working from home. So we put it to the vote with the staff at the time, and everybody wanted to work from home. And this was long before that was a serious trend line. And certainly, you know, a decade plus before COVID. And from 
it was immediately obvious to us that with a high functioning group that could self-motivate, there was no looking back. It was just the, the smartest thing you could possibly do. Just not having to go spend two hours in traffic every day is a massive, massive lifestyle win. And, you know, as, as many people have, have, you know, realized early on in the pandemic, and it kind of depends on your personality, right? There are some personalities who probably felt a sense of relief and got, and were excited about that at first. And then later realize they actually crave the social contact or they crave the difference or they don't have a particularly awesome home situation and they actually need the time away from friends, family, or just the space that they they inhabit so that they can break the monotony and, and be in a better place for some period of their day. Um, but if you're, if you're comfortable being an indoor cat, for a, a, a solid portion of your life and you can manage you you happen to be lucky enough to have family members that are conducive <laughs> to you working from home and that respect your boundaries and and support each other to you know find the correct the kind of correct balance in the home you know you can carve out your office space somewhere that's quiet enough even if it's not perfectly quiet and that is you know your your you know, my, my lovely five-year-old interrupts me at least 10 times a day, but it's not a hundred times a day. And I'm not a single dad <laughs> trying to, that would be racked with guilt all the time, worrying That's about, true. worrying about my daughter. Like as I became a parent, side note, I just, I cannot imagine being a single parent. <laughs> the, the, the people that do it all, all, all by themselves, like, Holy shit, those people deserve trophies. They should be getting bonus checks in the mail from the gov at a much higher level in, in many countries. It's insane to be in a position where, you know, during something like COVID, if you're a frontline worker, let's say that you are a uh, store manager at a Walmart or something. And so you've got to be out of the house, out doing your job, and you've got a seven-year-old kid. And that kid is home from school from COVID, but you can't be home for school with them. You just gained a latchkey kid. Like I, and, and that's not even the worst version of that situation that could manifest. Yeah. Like that is crazy. And society definitely does not do enough to support those people um, or recognize how tough that could be. So the going back to your original point, I have pretty good caps on things. Like I can spend about 20 hours a week on MTG Finance, another five on MTG Price, five to 10 on MTG Price admin. And then I spend generally about 30-ish on my main gig, um, which is on, you know, on the books as 40 plus, but in reality, everything gets done that needs to in a, in a shorter period of time due to those on, you know, years of figuring out the efficiencies and also delegating well to strong staff that know what they're doing and don't really need any handholding. And, and then I just, you know, there's, I don't know, 2000 cards in, in the house I could list for sale right now that I'm backed up on. And I just chip away at it five, 10 cards a night. And as you said, like Netflix is over, time to go to bed. I don't feel the need to stay up all night dealing with that. Now, there is going to come a time where I'm just so far behind that it's it's probably I'm probably going to turn the corner and say, I'm going to take less profit on a big chunk of this, and I'm just going to buy list it. And that's one of the nice things about this particular financial hobby is that 
if you get really far behind in your processing, you you can there is an exit where you sacrifice some chunk of the money to get caught up. Um, and your kind of your worst case scenario there is you turn what could have been I don't know fourteen thousand retail minus fees, so closer to twelve or whatever, into a buy list at nine to ten, and then you pick up a graded piece of unlimited power or something, and then it goes up another 30% in three years anyway. Well, um, on the topic of like, what is worth it? Uh, one of the things I've really noticed about my own, uh, expenditures and time. And one of the things I'll spend time with, uh, I hate spending the time of, uh, opening a whole bunch of packages and organizing them and sorting them and setting them in the assort in the right boxes in the right order so that my spreadsheet knows where they are. Like I find that aspect of all of this, uh, just brain numbing. And I have noticed a willingness in myself to, uh, forego things at a good price because like, there's just one of them on TCG player and I will spend, uh, more per copy, not, not a huge amount more per copy, but if I've got a choice between like, 20 packages at a dollar each or one seller who's got 20 copies at like a dollar 25 a dollar 50 each i will a thousand percent go for that yeah because, simplifying simplifying your accounting is a big deal yeah so um you know that's one of the ways that you can find more time inside the hobby and um i'm sure if you like hop onto the discord and ask people on there you know what's the tip that has saved you the most time over the years? There'd be stuff like um, learning to print your own envelope labels and getting the envelopes with the see-through window for that. Um, people with the thermal print... Is it a thermal printer you can you do the labels on for the, the small bubble mailers? I think it's thermal printers. Yeah, thermal printers a lot of people use, yeah. Yeah, so there's a lot of little ways that you can optimize your time, and that feels great. Because then you're still doing the thing that you like doing that, that gives you that dopamine rush of, oh man, I have bought at the right price. I am going to sell at the right price. It is going to be money in the bank. Uh, you took a trip someplace just off of Hogak, remember? Um, the, the whole feeling is like talking to other people in the hobby is another way that, that I find, um, not only helps me optimize the time that I spend, but also it's just fun to talk to people about like the crazy stuff they have used, uh, magic money to finance, you know, they pay off their student loans. They took a trip someplace. Uh, I like to tell the story of, I bought a new transmission for myself in 2001 off of selling uh, dual lands and a library of Alexandria and some force of wills and stuff. So like, yeah. Yeah, I think that that's a valid point to to kind of pull out and highlight is the, you don't, especially if it's not your primary hustle, like if you give up your day job and you, you, you become a like an online collectibles vendor, then you're in a very different space. Yeah. And, and, I'll, and I'll circle back to like kind of choosing your lane in a second. But on the assumption that your lane is more collector slash armchair speculator, then you do need to realize that you don't need to, especially if you've got a, a strong primary income or total household income that, that leaves you relatively safe and secure as you know, a, a decent chunk of our listeners will, 
you don't need to be in an ever-increasing spiral of profit. It's totally okay and actually should be encouraged to pull some of that money out and spend it on yourself. Go, you know, when you get a chance, when, when COVID restrictions let up and it's safe to travel again, go on that surf trip you've always wanted to try. Like, go to Costa Rica for a week. Just book it. Like, just <laughs> fucking spend the money. I, I have never smiled more consistently, uh, something I don't do often by nature, um, despite being a very a relatively happy person. It just doesn't show on my face all that often as, as it's you true. have. You uh, are you are one stoic. dour dude. Stoic. You are no. I, let's go with Dower. Okay, Dower is. I, I have. I have been with you when we won a battle bond draft, and I think you smiled twice. Right. So, but if I'm, you know, if there's a rainbow overhead and I just caught a wave on the west coast of Costa Rica, trust me, there's a smile on my face. There, there are certain things you can do in life that are magical enough that it will overcome any predisposition to. Uh, being middle of the road and will bring you into a, a true state of joy. And I don't think that I've ever gotten that from magic finance. It's not the kind of thing that you would normally expect it where, where you would expect to have those moments. And it's important to differentiate between the different things you can spend your time doing and understand which can like beers with your buddies on a Friday night playing commander can bring that moment. You can have something super hilarious happen in the game that everybody remembers and talks about later. Serving Costa Rica, jumping out of a plane, powder snow in, in Japan. These are the things you should be working towards and be willing to, you know, give up some of your capital to pursue because you don't get to take it with you when you die. We're living in an era right now where that particular haunting specter could come for any of us at any time. And, you know, all the more reason to treat yourself here and there if it is financially responsible overall to do so. Um, but I want to double back to the, the concept of choosing your lane, because I think one of the things that's important with work-life balance, and I think it's one of the things that some, you know, MTG Price Pro Traders struggle with, is understanding what version of MTG Finance they're interested in. Um, and that, you know, trying to dodge the FOMO of not pursuing somebody else's lane. Um, I think one of the biggest differentiators is how much of your life do you want, can you afford for this to consume? If you are working a part-time job somewhere where you've been, or, or a full-time job, but like you're doing backbreaking labor somewhere, working a construction site or something, you've been doing that for a while and you don't really have any you don't have a, a, a significant other or kids yet, and you've been saving all your money, you're fiscal, like financially frugal, and you happen to play magic, and you're thinking to yourself, you know what, maybe like I'm pretty good at this like flipping cards thing, and maybe I could make more money and enjoy my day-to-day -day more if I switched into being a collectibles vendor. That's a very different situation than somebody who is in a well-established career, totally fine with their career. Maybe they love it. Maybe they're just okay getting up in the morning and, you know, getting through the day and is looking for hobby time and just happens to like the financial aspect of the hobby. Um, those should lead you down very different paths and should put you on a different cycle of activity. If you're on the, if it's your main gig, you are 
by necessity on a very short cycle of returns. That's what leads you know vendors to be leveraging a buy list. You don't really hear about buying teams and stores speculating on dozens of copies of cards very often, and that's because they are on a on this totally different cycle. They're they're working a margin that's built structurally into their business model. They buy the card at 50 cents, they sell it for a dollar. They don't care if the card goes up and down per se. They really just care about leveraging that margin. Um, and in the MTG Finance, you know, casual speculator world, there's opportunities to do some of that by either setting up your own buy list, by um, working international arbitrage for quick returns, by spotting trends very and trying to get ahead of them quickly, by, you know, keeping your eye on EDH rec stats for emerging all-stars from new sets and and trying to be on the bubble where you're turning your money around really quickly, two, three, four weeks, and boom, you know, we get reports of people doing really fantastic things in short short time spans on, on the Discord all the time. And you can see, you know, feel the palpable jealousy in some other people's eyes that, you know, they haven't managed to turn their money around that quickly. But... As someone who has kind of worked all the angles at one point or another um, and has done it across multiple collectibles industries, because one of the problems I have is I have trouble picking up a hobby and not turning it into something financial. You know, I've done done it with comics. I've done it with magic. I've done it with vinyl toys, designer toys, transformers. I've done it with probably going to get into video games soon, uh, like graded graded games. I've dabbled in in sneakers as well, uh, installed all the relevant sneaker apps recently on my phone and have been browsing old Jordans and so forth. So I just have that kind of mind I, that where I, I'm, tr- I'm naturally inclined to seek value and to seek efficiency. And that tends to, when you're in a hobby where you're going to spend money on something, you tend to try to find, you know, what's the object I could acquire that will bring me the most value that is you know if i'm gonna especially because our house is decorated with all this stuff i'm thinking about you know what can i what's going to fill that slot on the shelf look good and and be the the most cost effective way to do that and that just always ends up pushing me down the road of ending up flipping stuff because you buy stuff and you you have more than you actually need so you sell some of it and now you're a vendor the but the thing I'll say is that you should be totally fine with operating on a longer cycle if you only have 5-10 hours a week to put into it and you want to spend a big chunk of that actually playing the game, whether online or with friends, COVID permitting. Um, and that frees you in many ways to just focus on amazing longer term stuff. So like somebody might be really in position to as a tc direct tcg direct vendor or sip vendor to buy a collection and flip it relatively quickly somebody else might be dealing in graded cards where they don't have a high volume of transactions but they have higher high sticker prices they're buying stuff at 6000 to flip for 6400 a week later and they're doing that a dozen two dozen times a year um, you can have somebody who's working that arbitrage angle. They've got the right connections set up and they're buying stuff in Europe and shipping it direct to CK and then they're selling the CK credit or whatever. 
all totally solid hustles. But if all you've got time for is to kind of parse through our Discord or other sources and go, you know what, Esper Sentinel is an S-tier staple, and I'm just going to buy 200 copies of that and check in in a year. That's totally fine. Like, not not only is that all is that likely to lead to a very respectable result by any reasonable standard, you know, a potential fifty to one hundred percent gain, depending on your entry point. Um, but there's no reason to feel guilty. Like your life is clearly full of other things. You don't need to do work all forty possible angles. You can just pick the ones that you find the most interesting, that you have the most fun with that fit into your schedule and budget the best and go from there. And if situation changes over time, those other options are always there for you to re-explore. I think that's one of the great things about um, the discord that we have is that there is a really wide range of um, financial uh, expenditures that people do. There's a wide range of experiences that people have had and whatever level you're at or whatever level you're comfortable being at great there's there's going to be people there to uh commiserate with you and if you want to up that level there'll be people to help you out with that um you uh touched on like what uh somebody who just says you know i'm going to buy 200 esper centinels um one of the other piece of advice that uh i tell my friends, when they want to talk about uh, magic finances, I, I tell them, go ahead and foil your deck. Don't feel bad at all about foiling out your commander deck because that's it, it's not going to lead to any like huge jumps. But when you finish building your deck and you play with it for a couple of years and then you go back and look at it, you're going to say, oh my god, when did this foil Nullspine Dragon become $100? You know? Um I mean, I would qualify that with original versions, especially original foils, especially old foils, especially fanciest version available, especially like something like a masterpiece soul ring. It's a really recent development that there have been foil versions that haven't been, you know, necessarily good gainers. I'll, I'll give you that. But even so, like just the, the joy that you take from putting this in, you're you're not going to lose anything from it from a financial perspective and you're going to gain like a whole lot of excuse me a whole lot of joy um i mean you, you certainly can lose i mean it's possible to say boy put a foil tarmogoyf in your deck and later it's worth less because it shifts out of a major meta or whatever but on average a premium focused commander deck will tend to gain value over time because a lot of the cards that you you would likely s- select are going to become, you know, if you if you go out and get an original foil Ristic Study or an original foil Smothering Tithe, they are very like unlikely to uh, dip in the future. They so, so the more the more you're focused on building with staples, the more that will be true. And to get back to the the balance, though, like if it th- this is one of the ways that you can gain both value and joy is that you have a goal to work towards and you set yourself that goal and you make your goal, I'm going to have this deck be as shiny as possible. And you pull that off and you have that that sense of, I have accomplished that goal. And uh, magic finance is almost never a, 
I have finished the game sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, it's the journey. Not, it's not the journey, not the destination. Right. So one of the things that uh, helps a lot is to set those kinds of goals. Or um, you set a certain goal for your sales. Like you say, I'm not going to buy any cards until I've sold this many. And now you have refreshed your bankroll for the next amount of stuff you want to buy. You know, that, that process of figuring out what is an achievable a measurable goal for myself to accomplish in this or any other like task you want to do, you know, whether you're, um, I'm sure you could hit me with some phrase for a, a parkour playground about like the difficulty level in a certain amount of time. Uh, you know, you have a, a goal that you set and you do the steps necessary to get up to it. And that gives a real like accomplishment, a real like satisfaction, a completion that doesn't come with endless hobbies like this one is. Because magic's never like knock wood, you know, there there is a set of circumstances where magic is no longer a thing, but uh we're quite a ways away from that. Yeah, there's there's definitely value to be mined in the process of collecting. And I think that's one of the reasons that people were so surprised that Magic did so well during the pandemic. It was that they underestimated, they overestimated the value of competitive play to the brand and vastly underestimated the value of casual play and collecting, which has, you know, the Wizards has told us many times that is the core of their audience, but people continued not to listen because they, when you're in the pocket of tracking the biggest names on magic social media and watching Twitch and before uh, the pandemic star city games tour and channel fireball tournaments and GPs and pro tour and whatever. And if you were out there grinding uh, any of those circuits, then, you know, that felt like the core of magic. But the reality is that for the vast majority you know, 90% plus of players, that was never the core of Magic. Core of Magic was them and their brother, kitchen table on a Sunday afternoon. I I think that there's, you know, merit in figuring out, was it, um, you know, people built commander decks at a, at a amazing rate. Was it just because they were sitting around with nothing better to do? I don't know how many games they got in with them, but the I'm going to build this deck spirit was really strong during the pandemic. And I think that was the, the main thing that, that drove commander growth at that, at, during this whole time. And one of the, the, one of the great things about, you know, I've said, said on cast before with Travis that wizards got extremely lucky with EDH. Very, very rarely does a brand have a fan created anything. That, become, that becomes something that the brand can financially capitalize on without ha- running into legal trouble and without compensating every, anybody involved. Well, and, the, the story and, of Wizards and compensation is a pretty fucked up one in general. But it, it is incredible that, that there was this fan-created format that Wizards like had no part in, and then now it is basically the core of the brand. And it's amazing to me that like they that they hadn't realized that championing or making core a casual oriented format that leans into both collecting and personalization, self-expression was the key to unlocking the full potential of the brand. 
because there are major problems with competitive over casual. People talk about net decking, but it's net, net decking was never the problem. The problem is the lack of a venue for self-expression in a world where whatever trash you bring to your F&M on a Friday night that's like tier four minus is just going to get trounced so badly by a tier one deck that it makes you not want to go back because you're just playing a different game. Like one of you is experimenting, the other one is optimizing, and those two things don't meet head on well. And then the collecting part is very frustrating when standard was the core of the game because you got to buy and sell cards all the time. And for a lot of players that aren't interested in MTG Finance, they don't even want to do any of that. Like that's not the part of the game they're interested in. And so they're what they're actually doing is they're buying more cards than they're selling. And they feel frustrated about the ongoing cost of that. Whereas in Commander, you buy a staple, even if it's a niche staple like Sarkin, um, you know, you move it or you might reconfigure your dragon deck every so often to keep it fresh. But that stuff is going to even that, you know, that niche staple, a dragon staple is still going to find a home. And it's relatively easy to trade it to your buddy if, you know, they want to pick up a dragon deck and you're going to start building zombies or whatever. And if it's something like a true S tier stable, like a arcane signet or whatever, secret layer, then you're never you never have to feel guilty about that because you're always going to be able to find a home for it. Some of those cards, like your soul rings or whatever, if you're over the lifetime of commander, you might build thirty decks. You're going to need eight or ten copies of of soul ring, and that is so so much better for the brand and and better for the because it's better for the players. The as you said during the pandemic. Being able to, you know, sit down and say, okay, I'm going to build a vampire deck. I'm not going to look at EDH rec and see what everybody else is throwing the deck. Instead, I'm going to go through the very enjoyable process of going through my collection, pulling out my black cards, some red cards. Maybe I've got some multicolor stuff from Ixalan block, and I'm going to see what vampire stuff I have and build whatever I feel like. We've also seen that, like, there's a a lot of non not necessarily optimized uh, ways to play which are still really enjoyable like people want to build have their precon plus twenty dollar upgrades or um, it used to be a thing that you would um, buy a, a precon and then you get like two booster packs a week to add to it at your store yeah stuff like that you know we where you're right um, magic has always benefited from the unofficial ways to play and the the heart they they never shied away from that um and it's just a really uh, a great experience to especially because the core of this is a a game is a is a, a game with pieces that you move against other people's pieces but it is still a, a, at its core it's a is a social interaction and Commander just gives a codified set of ways for that social interaction to happen under the context of we all brought 100 card decks with a certain color identity. Yeah. I mean, the, the reality is you can be a Jun player or you can be a Commander player. 
I don't I don't think it's that cut and dry. And by the way, I think you're really underestimating it if you think people have only built 30 commander decks in their lifetime. Well, yeah, but I think that it's very true that your average modern player does not own more than a small handful of decks. Fully built. Hmm, that's probably true. Like if you if you just had like hands up at a at a GP, how many fully built com- modern decks do you own right now? And you said one or less, they would you'd get the majority of hands. Yeah, but you're you're also talking about like when somebody has a favorite, you know, when somebody has something that they love, even if it it might not be top tier, like you're always going to find somebody with um, uh, Merfolk has its uh, adherence. Like you're going to find sure, people but my, playing. My point is that if you have a Merfolk deck in Commander, you probably have a bunch more decks. If you have a Merfolk deck in Modern, that might might be the only deck you have. Right, I'll give you that. So, I mean, I, and, and that's a big, big deal because, like, that really unlocks that potential of collecting and spending time with the cards that, like, if you only play Modern and you're locked in on four-color Omnath right now, you might tinker with it here and there as the tech kind of ebbs and flows, but the majority of your collection is fallow. Like, whatever you've gotten through drafting, most of those cards you never touch or play with. And that's that's a weaker connection overall to the brand. It's It leads to less overall commitment to the process there there's a lot going on there and it's i'll i'll leave it at that because that's kind of veering off into a whole different topic but one of the things i wanted to touch on was in the era of everybody being glued to their cell phones and devices all the time one of the most important things for work-life balance is that is really more easily leveraged if you're not on the day-to-day hustle as opposed to a mid to longer term hustle is not being glued to your device checking prices all the time. And one of the things I tell people all the time is, and we, Travis and I talked about this uh, recently, um, I think when we were talking about getting out on bad specs, was don't put money into any spec that you're not willing to put at least $100 into, or whatever limit you want to set for yourself. So that A, your accounting uh, organization and tracking is easier as you as you alluded to, but also so that your imp, your impulse to be price checking that stuff is not weighing down on you. Because if you've got thirteen dollars invested in something and you're down thirty percent, agonizing over that every day for months is just <laughs> complete waste of time and time and money. Um, and the follow on to that is about the device itself, like. Any excuse to put your device down is a good one these days. Um, we all spend too many time, too much time on our devices, and of course, in in my industry, in web, I've seen that that curve of that involvement ramp so so hard over the last decade. Um, whereas the decade before that, it was you know there was console and PC addiction level things going on, but it wasn't. If you left the house, you were still away from your device for that period. And transitioning to where you can be, if you're addicted to a game, you can be 24-7 addicted to that game. And with Magic, now that you can play Arena on your phone, that potential exists as well. Um, And so I think setting yourself some strong rules for what you do with devices in your house, especially if you're early on in the setting up of your family, can go a long way. Like in my brother's household, who's a little older than me, he just put his foot down and said, cell phones stay in their foyer like they have this entry room that's kind of like a laundry room slash uh 
side hallway off the side of their house where they come and go on on most days and he and his wife just got in the habit of leaving their phones in this basket when they got home and they would check them like once a night in case there was an emergency message or whatever and people had their their house phone while they still had one of those and otherwise while their kids were growing up and they're now super well-adjusted teenagers they didn't have phones at the dinner table they didn't have phones that they were checking while they were watching TV with the kids. They spent time with each other. And not all of us have that luxury. Like, I basically can't, my work life cannot function if I don't have a device uh, with me. And one of the ways that I'm able to uh, spend a lot of time with Alara during an average day, like in the middle of summer, take her out to a park for two hours, is because I have my device with me um, and I can stay on top of things. But... I still very much believe that any opportunity to put it away is a good opportunity. And, and I think that those are great habits to build into your life in general and specific to the hobby. You know, put yourself in a position where you don't have to be price checking every five minutes and you're in good shape. Well, I agree that price checking obsessively is uh, just bad policy in general. Um, you're not going to get nearly as much out of it as you will out of doing that time with anything else. Um, so, I'm a high school teacher, right? Um, I've been a teacher for, uh, what was my first, my first year was 07. So I'm at like 12 years now, 13 years. And I have taught middle school. I have taught high school. I've taught just about every subject. I've been a substitute for some of those years. Uh, I've seen the shift in who has smartphones, who has access to technology, who has like all that going on. I'm not convinced that the phone itself is the problem because the this is this has taken me a while to to really grok is that like a lot of young people and a lot of people our age too like their primary source of social interaction is that phone and I enjoy um things like group texts with my brother and my sister and my mom and I enjoy, uh, you know, getting sent uh, a meme by my partner or when one of my students leaves a funny comment on my Instagram page. Like, there's a level of interaction that's possible now that wasn't possible before. And I'm not saying it's better and I'm not saying it's worse, but it is definitely different. And it requires each person to do, as you said, to figure out what works for their life. For your brother, the cell phone in the foyer fantastic for other people like the i think it we want to be careful like saying a blanket policy like that when there's a lot of gray area in there and there's there's studies to indicate that like there you can definitely overdo it with all of these things and i heaven knows i've seen that like people who literally cannot put down their phone for 10 minutes at a time even when i'm showing them listen this scalpel that you're doing a dissection with it is meant to cut through your flesh, so please pay attention to what you're doing and not paying attention to, you know, the, the newest TikTok trend. So um, I just want to make sure that everybody recognizes the need for a personalization of the balance. Like what, what is my balance might not be your balance and wouldn't be a third or fourth person's balance. Sure, and every, everybody's circumstances are different, but I think like the, the general trend line is that the positive social interactions that are possible through devices are very real. The 
reality is that if you look at the number of hours your average North American is spending on those devices per day, and then look at the curve of joy or uh, socialization and how quickly it falls off after, say, the first 20% of the time spent, it's very high. Like, you're going to go through those things that you need to, especially during the pandemic if you're stuck at home, to get through the day, and then you're going to quickly devolve into endless scrolling on TikTok or whatever. I'll give you that the the endless scrolling is problematic. It's true. You know, the the swiping right and left on dating apps or whatever, that people, people fall into these habits where they're spending hours and hours on something that's not actually contributing to their, their joy or fulfillment. Um, and that's what I'm warning against. Um, I guess the, the, the final point I, I would look to make is something about, especially in financial hobbies, treating failures as something that you just separate from your ego entirely. Because you have... You buy a card for $20, it goes down to $5. That $15 that you lost is not a failure per se. It is money you're spending to acquire knowledge. As with most things, you need to spend a certain amount of time hands-on with the subject matter over a period of time to get familiar enough with the hobby and the angles and figuring out your lane and your budget and whatever to get to a good spot where you're in a sustainable position that takes up X amount of your week that works with everything else going on in your life. And it's, it's something you're going to enjoy and be successful with going forward. But all of us, like I think if you went back to year one for me, for you, for Travis, for any number of different people in our discord and looked at what mistakes they made in year one, you know, trying to be original is probably the one that always comes to mind for me. Like people trying to come up with a spec nobody else has mentioned yet as though that's valuable <laughs> when, when in a hobby where if your end goal is to build a collection or make money or whatever, it's obviously much better to just find the best idea rather than the original idea. Um, yeah, you, you just have to be, you have to be comfortable with being on a learning curve with throwing, you know, worse money after bad for a little bit. And then sorting things out. As long as you have established rule zero for MTG Finance, which is don't mess with money you don't have, um, that you can't afford to mess with. It's same rules as with gambling. You don't, you don't want to put money on the table that you can't afford to lose. So you start however small you need to, given your circumstances. And... You know, if that's 50 bucks and you put your first 50 bucks in and it doesn't produce anything, that doesn't mean you need to be done with this. It just means you've got some more learning to do and you wait till you can afford another 50 bucks. And during that time, you listen, you read, you get yourself up to speed, you pay attention to the tread lines and you figure out what you need to do. I'd agree with that. Um, I think that the the other thing I would add for balance is that um, especially in this day and age of Twitter and uh, discords and a, a whole host of ways to communicate with people. If there are people who seem to be doing it the way you'd like to be doing it, I would say reach out to them. Um, at worst, you get nothing back. And that, you know, that is going to happen depending on, like, if you reach out to uh, somebody with a billion followers, you're, you're probably not going to get much back. But 
there are always going to be spots where you can gain information on getting closer to your goal and what you want to be accomplishing and the ability to to have that conversation to to listen in on how they how they do it because like I'm remembering a lot of times where there was guilt involved. Uh, do you remember they, um, the Vegas weekend, uh, the, uh, in the GP Vegas that, uh, you and I ended up at, yep. uh, it was a father's day weekend. Gotcha. If you remember that. Gotcha. So like dealing with the, the, the feelings and talking with other people about it has been one of the ways that has, has helped keep me feeling like I've got everything where I need it all to be. Perfectly understandable. All right. So that's, I guess, our take on work-life balance as pertains to MTG Finance and managing the various aspects of our hobby and our day-to-day lives. Where can uh, folks find you online there, Cliff? Uh, the main way is uh, at Twitter, at Word of Commander, or my weekly articles every Friday on mtgprice.com. You can find me on Twitter at MGGCritic, as well as via my occasional articles on MGGPrice.com and my constant haunting of the ProTrader Discord. also like to remind our listeners to check out the MGGPrice.com ProTrader service for just $9.99 a month or $109.99 per year. You can get early access to this podcast, fantastic articles by the best MGG finance minds in the business, and a super active Discord forum that will drive better returns and save you money. Playing Magic the Gathering, I know we've got another... Well, handful of group buys going on right now. Japanese uh, Neon Dynasty stuff. We've got Modern Horizons 2. We're working on a custom deck box group buy. All sorts of fun I stuff going that. on. Uh, that looks good. I, I have a, a Twitter window open where I'm discussing woods with our potential uh, crafts person. Who's going to be working <laughs> on that. Uh, well, once again, uh, MTG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff, Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool, nerdy stuff in stock, including all the best in Magic the Gathering singles, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Don't forget to use the promo code FINANCE with the number 5 during checkout at Cool Stuff, Inc. to save 5% off your order and support this podcast. That brings us to the end of MTG Finance Podcast number 307. Thanks very much for being on with me today, Cliff. We will uh, catch Travis on the flip side of his uh, busy personal stuff that we'll talk about once it's appropriate. Thank you, Cliff, and we'll see you all next week on another episode of MTG Fast Finance. Mm -hmm.